Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi, this is Bill Peacock, and welcome to episode 66 of the Liberty Cafe. Glad to have you here with me, and also glad to have with us Texas Scorecard, the fine men and women over there are fighting for our liberty. They're, they're fighting for their own liberty too, but but they're fighting for our liberty right here in Texas at the local level, at the state level, and at the national level, trying to expose, just like we do here on the Liberty Cafe, oppression in the society and culture around us, particularly that emanating out of the political sphere. So please go over to texasscorecard.com and check out all the great work that they are doing. Well, today on the Liberty Cafe, we're going to talk about rights and markets. That and and liberty. I think that's a good way of giving an overview of what we're going to be talking about. So if you kind of look around and pay attention to a little bit about what's going on around us, you might notice that that citizens, Americans, are under assault. And, you know, and, and this doesn't mean that just us conservative types or Christian types are under assault. We're all under assault from government. It's just that it, it's the conservatives and the Christians who actually seem to notice what's going on. Uh, liberals and progressives and particularly non-Christians, these are general labels. It doesn't always work this way, but those are tend to be the labels that work out. Don't really seem to notice that, that, that oppression is heading their way. Again, there, there's some, right? Now, Glenn Greenwald, for instance, you know, he, he's a liberal, gay journalist who, you know, I have a lot of disagreement with on a lot of things, but he actually can see a lot of the problems that's going on in today with with the the cancel culture and shutting down conversation on things. I mean, he he's he sees truth, he speaks it, and sometimes he gets beat up by his own side or what used to be his own side. It's kind of hard to tell sometimes what side you're on. But anyway, all this is going on out there like that and and we're under assault. The government and the people who support the government, the people who live off the government, they're, it's taking our money, right? They are destroying our markets. We talked last episode or two about how the PUC is destroying what's left of a, the once most competitive, successful electricity market in the world. They're doing that. Government schools are usurping parental rights. You know, people tend to send their kids to public schools voluntarily, although with the government taking away a lot of their money – and making everything expensive and the cost of living higher and people having to work two jobs just to survive and having few alternatives to public schools, it, it's kind of an inf- coerced voluntarism to send your kids to public schools for a lot of people. But then once you send them in there, you have no rights at all. They, they teach them whatever they want. And when you start complaining about it, they call the FBI in on you. So that's going on in this world. Um, you know, we see the, the forced preferences for businesses and individuals when it comes to race, races and transgenderism. You know, we, we can't associate, we can't hire with people, the people we want to do. If we discriminate against anybody for whatever reason, 
we can go to jail, we can be fined, all these kinds of things go on um, in this world today. And then we see inflation, right? This is inflation is another big example of government oppression, right? What, why, what, why do we have inflation? Well, you got to remember what inflation is. People in in politics and economics these days will tell you inflation is a rise in prices, but it's not. Inflation, in fact, is an increase in the money supply, right? And so it's because the government is printing more money, deciding how much money is good, which is always for them more because the more money they print, the less money they have to tax you. And they know you don't like to be taxed, but they figure they can print a lot of money and raise price, and prices go up because of that. And nobody knows who to blame because they, they make up this stuff about what inflation is, really. And so, anyway, so that's another attack, right? And so, what what they're just coming after us on all levels. And and I know I, I've had a friend of mine, pastor, tell me one time that um, I use the the, the battle uh, scenario way too often. And you know, I, I get that at one level, but. On another hand, there's a real battle going on in this world, and it shouldn't surprise us. Go back to Psalm 2, where it talks about the nations raging against God. This has been going on for a long time. The nations are still raging against God, and we're caught in the middle of a cosmic battle, but it's just not cosmic. It plays out in real life with real people. And so if you think I'm a right-wing conspiracy nut— well, just go read Psalm 2, and maybe that'll calm you down a little bit on that. And the, and the reason I bring this up is because a lot of times when we fight back, when we don't like what the government's doing to us, they disenfranchise us. You know, They're saying, okay, we're going to let everybody vote. It doesn't matter. Vote two times, three times, whether they live here, whether they're citizens or not. You know, we're just going to make your vote not count anymore. Or sometimes, you know, they cancel us, so you can't do this, or you can't do that, or you can't speak here, or you can't go there, those kind of things. And then some people, you know, like in uh, stuck in jails today in Washington, D.C., because they thought there were some problems with the elections in um, 2020. So they incarcerate us too. So it's a real problem. And, and so you got to kind of wonder what the big battle is all about. Well, as I alluded to earlier, the big battle, I guess, behind the scenes is the the battle of the nations raging against God. But as I also pointed out, it catches us all up in this. And so it seems to be that there's this battle about over control, right? And, and, and the fact that people, I mean, this is kind of how it plays out in, in the world today, is that people can't be left to manage their own lives through their families, through their churches, through exchange and marketplaces, and then through charity, helping those people who aren't making it because their families are non-functional or they don't have a church or they don't have enough capital to participate in markets, whatever it might be, you know, all four of those areas we can't be left to deal with our problems through those places because, well, because we just can't be, right? And and typically the explanation is, well, we're not doing a very good job. So somebody else needs to come in and do the job that because they can do it better than us. Because for some reason, the people 
who are in government are more enlightened or less prone to make mistakes or something else than we are. And so they are going to do the job for us. That, that's kind of how that all works out, right? Well, the sad thing is, is that this fight is not just being led or waged against us by progressives or Democrats or liberals and those kind of things. Too often, we see this kind of paternalistic, power-hungry perspective coming at us from Republicans right, who, who, who get them there and, you know, it's, it's the old kind of establishment or country club Republican or things like that who just can't see the people really taking care of themselves and so they need to do it as, as well, right? And, it, you know, used to be that that was kind of reserved for blacks and minorities and things like that. And, and, you know, we would have called that properly paternalistic, even racist in some ways back today. But now it just extends to all of us, right? And, and, and so that's kind of what's going on with this big fight today. And, and so I, I just want to spend a few more, a few minutes of the time we have left talking about how wrong this approach is and, and, and how much better things work for us when we work through the capitalist system, when we work through markets. Particularly, you know, I, I think I would, would uh, say that when we exercise our unalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, property, those kind of things that we are endowed with by our creator, when we exercise those rights through mar markets, things work out better for us. They work out better for society. We're all better off. And it's not really surprising that it works that way because that's the way God designed the world to work. He gave us government for a reason, but it was he gave us government to protect us from oppression. He gave government to protect us from wrongdoing when people wanted to physically attack us, when people want to take our stuff. Unfortunately, what happens today is that the government's in the business of oppression, right? They take our stuff. You know, some big giant corporation like, say, um, Energy Transfers, we talked about them on a previous thing, they, they want to make more money. So the government just raises electricity prices. They declare force majeure, and all of a sudden, they're $2 billion richer. We're $2 billion poorer, and all that happened because the government stepped in to manage our lives for us, right? And so it's not a surprise that maybe when we get to manage our own lives, again, using the gifts and, and exercising the rights that God gave us through private exchange through markets, things work out better because, again, that's how God designed the world to work. Yeah, and it, again, I, I like to go back a little bit, and I'm going to go back not quite as far as I did in um, episode 65, but let's just go back to about the late 1500s. And John Flynn is an author who wrote a great book on economic changes and, and entrepreneurs throughout history. And I just want to kind of read to you this brief explanation of what medieval Europe looked like in the late 15th century, 1400s. He wrote, the long struggle to break up the old feudal system and the primitive guild ethics of the towns and set in motion, the capitalist society lengthened out into a series of steps. First, there was the slow infiltration of money. Next came the shattering of public acceptance of ethics of trading and banking. Then came the rise of free competition and the long retreat of the old guild trade monopolies. 
Next was the development of modern banking. Then came the rise of the large-scale industrial operator. It is because of Jacob Fugger, who played a leading role in all these things, that he stands as the most important figure at the dawn of the capitalist era. So what he was talking about here was that the beginning, really, of the Industrial Revolution. Now, we, we didn't really see the Industrial Revolution pop up in, 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 in its fullness until the late 1700s, 1800s in, in England. But, but this was the beginnings of all this. And it was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution because it was the, the, the dawn, if you would, of the capitalist system. And when I talk about the capitalist system, I'm talking about mainly the, the preservation and movement of capital throughout the world. Um, because capital had been destroyed in vast amounts. Capital mean, meaning wealth. After, when, when Rome collapsed, the world was really wealthy. Western Europe, wealthy. England and Rome and Western Europe, a lot of wealth because there hadn't been much fighting for a while. At least once you get conquered by Rome, if you survive that, a lot of peace afterwards, and you, you play with their rules, and a lot of wealth was built up. But Rome collapsed, and all of a sudden, invaders started coming from everywhere. Angles and Saxons and Vikings and Franks and, and Goths and Visigoths and all those kind of folks came in and just destroyed all this wealth. And it literally, it took almost a 1,000 years to start building a system to get it back where capital could be preserved and then transmitted, transported, far enough so that people could use it to build up a new infrastructure that had been destroyed a thousand years before. And so that was happening, and that's why we came to the beginning of the capitalist system, right, in the, in the Industrial Revolution, because there was enough money out there to build all the technology and, and the, the machine and the iron and all those kind of things to take advantage of coal and and oil and natural gas and and all the kind of things that were needed to power the systems that we take for granted today. And all that happened because at the time, we are kind of breaking out of this feudalism and letting markets actually work, letting people have free trades, right? Now, I'm not here to say that markets and trade and capitalism haven't had problems, right? They have. You know, we, we saw pollution come out of that a lot of place, a lot of relationship problems between owners and workers, pro some problems with child labor. You know, a lot of kind of things have happened that have not been perfect, but these are not unique to the market system. The, these just happen because we live in a fallen world and we're all fallen people. And wherever you put us, whether it's in a capitalist system, a socialist system, whether you're a whether you're an entrepreneur or a government regulator, you're going to have problems, and your problems are going to affect other people. So, again, it's the outcome that we should be looking at, and what we have here is the outcomes of the market are much better than the outcomes of government regulation, right? It just – it always works. But, but still what we see today is people who are blind to that, and what we've – We've gotten to a point where government intervention now is being based on 
the concept of human rights, that if we really care for human rights, we're going to have government intervention. Uh, The World Health Organization has put out this document that deals with why we need government intervention in healthcare for so so much because they said that if you care about human rights, and in this, this case, they're really talking about positive human rights. It's not life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It's you deserve, you have a right to healthcare, and you have a right to a certain level of income, and you have a right to this and a right to that. That's what they're talking about. And they said that these positive human rights impose obligations on government duty bearers. So it's up to the government now to give us what we need rather than to have us go out and get them. And here, let me just read what the World Health Organization says about this. These obligations on the government include providing citizens the enjoyment of the highest attainable health standard, right, which is defined as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. So the government has to provide us all this stuff. And of course, the only way they can provide us all that stuff is, well, by taking our stuff, and so they can give it back to us or back to other people besides us, right? I mean, that's it's the only way it works. Government doesn't have any money. They only get it from us. That's the kind of works out. But, but again, this construct about positive human rights and the government needing to provide it to us has been shattered and proved false for a long time by a whole different lots of people, particularly, you know, theologians who spend time reading their Bibles, uh, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Martin Luther, John Calvin, even like John Locke and Thomas Jefferson, who weren't Christians probably, but at least they saw these things, again, in the concept of unalienable rights given to us or endowed to us by our Creator, right? And it's when these rights are exercised individually and collectively by the people and not trounced or hindered by the government is the way things turn out the best, right? When we can exercise these rights in our families, in our churches, and in markets through charities is is the way these kind of things work out best for us. Let me just let me just close up by saying here that well let me quote close up by quoting Gary North and he says that one of the fundamental principles of all systems of economic theory is this you can't get something for nothing Christianity teaches that God offers saving grace to some people without cost to them but this grace is based on the high price that Jesus Christ paid at Calvary And that's the problem with all this government control, efforts to control our lives, to to fix our lives, to do all these kind of things. They totally ignore the cost of of what they are doing. And so in one sense, the, the cost of increasing prosperity and advances in human health you know, today and, and throughout history really has been, how should I put this, been the messy business of people exercising their God-given rights through free markets, right? And, and that is really messy. 
and it's hard to sit there and watch. But it's but it's messy because, uh, as I said, we're all fallen people, and if we are going to advance in society, it's going to look messy, and it's not going to be great. But the alternative is to make a big mess of it and impose more costs on us than we can afford to deal with, and it makes everybody worse off. Right? And so, but if we're given the opportunity to exercise our God-given rights through markets, it, it gives us the opportunity as individuals to absorb all the information out there and, and convert this information to useful means to, to satisfying our, our individual needs and wants, which, by the way, helps us satisfy the needs and wants of other people, right? We don't operate in a vacuum, and as we're exchanging and working and helping people, uh, whether it's through monetary exchange or voluntary exchange through charity, it helps us all, and it builds up uh, – it helps build up enough ca- capital to help us grow and prosper as a society, so since, you know, as mentioned before, since, you know, long, long ago, since we've had all these problems with uh, government stepping in and solving our problems, as I mentioned in a previous episode, going back to Edward first and dealing, regulating with coal use and those kind of things, right, that if we continue to follow on with having rulers substitute their judgment for their citizens, it's just not going to work. But that leaves us with the, the most moral and effective way to improve the commission, the condition of mankind and our planet around us is through exercising our inalienable rights in markets to the glory of God and to the benefit of his people. Well, thank you very much for being with us on episode 66 of the Liberty Cafe, and thanks once again to our wonderful and awesome sponsor, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe by Texas Scorecard. You can find more shows and great content at texasscorecard.com. Please consider leaving a review or rating the show on whatever podcasting platform you listen on.